0: Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Welcome to ite talks transportation my name is bernie Wagenblast, and this month we're pleased to be joined by annie Chang. she's the head of new mobility and director of the mobility data collaborative at sae international annie welcome to ite talks transportation
1: thank you so much bernie for having me
0: and what we're going to be talking about specifically is mobility and i think that's probably a good place to start as far as a question mobility as a word is one that we're hearing more and more in the transportation world For you, though, and your job at SAE, how do you define mobility?
1: SAE, to be honest, has this uh, legacy of being the Society of Automotive Engineers. Actually, we have automotive and we added aerospace decades ago. Still, that legacy sticks with us. For us, though, we really talk about mobility in an ecosystem, getting from point A to point B, regardless of what mode you're taking, what kind of vehicle you're taking, or even maybe you're walking. So it encompasses the communication protocols in between. It encompasses the multimodal trip, everything that gets you as a human or your things from point A to point B.
0: Now, talking about your role specifically at SAE, as I mentioned, your uh, title is head of new mobility as well as director of the Mobility Data Collaborative. I'm curious, tell me a bit about some of the day-to-day projects that you're involved in and some of the initiatives that you're taking part in and how that all fits around mobility as a service or mobility on demand.
1: I oversee SA's research and standards portfolio for new mobility, um, which we define as uh, right now, shared and micro mobility. And I would say that includes three core activities. First is around standardization. So we have a committee dedicated to shared mobility, which really looks at how you access shared vehicles or shared services. Uh, We have a committee also on micromobility vehicles, which is more focused on the actual vehicles themselves that are smaller and lighter than traditional conventional motor vehicles. In these two committees, um, my job is to drive consensus building and as a um, unified group, identify and develop priority standards that the community is seeking for at this time. The second portion of my job is around research, uh, which I have to say is my favorite activity. We do a lot of trend analysis. For example, last year we looked at uh, what are the enablers of the micromobility boom. We also analyzed usage trends on who is using micromobility, how are they being used, and um, we also speculated on the outlook of the industry. The third activity is around the Mobility Data Collaborative, which comes in the form of a consortium. So it is a multi-sector consortium of public agencies, private sector companies, and nonprofits, as well as academia to tackle the huge white space of mobility data sharing that is taking place between public sector and private sector at this time.
0: You talk about the work of the committees that you're involved with at SAE, and I think part of that is demystifying and trying to come to some standardization of terms around shared and micro mobility. Tell us a, a bit more about your work and where mobility terms and standards are, are heading at the present time, if you would.
1: In late 2017, we started with shared mobility. At this time, shared mobility was ubiquitous already. However, the terminology was inconsistent, to say at least. Um, for example, what do you call services, the ride services offered by Uber and Lyft? People said ride sharing, ride healing, TNCs, even car sharing. So we tackled this issue with J3163, which was led by Dr. Susan Shaheen from Berkeley. Then in 2018, we saw the scooter boom happening. And Prior to the boom, let's be real here, the term (laughs) scooter was associated mostly with, you know, mopeds. Mm -hmm. And we created the taxonomy J3194, which provides a taxonomy classification system for these tiny vehicles. And we focus on powered micro-mobility vehicles. So we exclude intentionally pedal-only bicycles or solely human-powered skateboards, things like that. At this time, we are beginning our standardization work on speed management uh, or acceleration for electric standing scooters. An example of this may include if a scooter rider enters or leaves a slow or no-ride zone, how can you safely decelerate or accelerate the scooter so that the rider doesn't plop off? or um, the rider can have similar expectations, regardless of which operator scooter they're on.
0: I can certainly see how that helps to standardize the terminology within SAE, but how does that get out to the larger transportation world and how do they come to accept these standardized terms? So
1: SAE committees are driven by volunteer experts. And most of them are embedded in these communities, right? Whether they're public agencies who would be using the standards or micromobility operators who would like to see the standards being developed. So naturally, they just get embedded in different documents in the near future for Our taxonomy on micro-mobility vehicles, I imagine it to be used in, say, permitting processes. So if a city puts an RFP and says, hey guys, we're looking for micro-mobility operators, uh, you can have 2,000 scooters. What kind of scooters are you talking about? Uh, You can say in SAE J3194, we mean low-speed, lightweight, electric, standing scooters. Then it can be very clear.
0: Certainly one of the things that I've seen is I've looked at the news about scooter use in cities around the country and around the world is safety is a concern. In some cities, they've actually pulled scooters off of public roadways because of those kinds of safety concerns. But you've done some recent research that's focused on e-scooter safety. Can you tell us a bit more of some of the things that you're seeing and why you think transportation professionals can do more to improve safety of e-scooters and other small shared modes?
1: As I mentioned before, I love uh, research, and my graveyard shift is being a PhD student at McGill University, so, and I chose safety of micromobility as my main dissertation topic. I really stand behind the notion that traffic crashes are not inevitable accidents, but rather preventable incidents. However, the universal metric of road safety has always been the number of crashes, which require three to five years of crash data to accumulate. For scooters, we don't have that. So how do we know what the safety issues are and how do we fix them? So what I did was use surrogate safety measures, which are traffic events that resemble and are highly related to crashes. So for example, conflicts or near misses, those moments when you're in traffic and you almost get hit by a car is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I looked at around 200 hours of video footage in Washington, D.C. and found that it was around 1.4% of scooters got into serious conflicts, which I defined was less than two seconds away from being a crash, compared to 2.1% for cyclists which means that scooters are not as dangerous as cyclists. Mm-hmm. I also found that both cyclists and scooter riders face similar difficulties when they making left turns. A lot of this could be resolved through infrastructure changes such as bike boxes, which allow you to have more visibility for the motorists, or the queue boxes, So you can make safe left turns when you're waiting for the second segment of your left turn. Ultimately, my question kind of shifted from, are scooters safe to are streets safe for Mm -hmm. all vulnerable road users? And that includes scooters, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we fix the VRU issue rather than the scooter issue, I think, is the greater question to be answered. And as a civil engineer and an urban planner, it really hurts me to see that the industry has focused so much on, say, helmet usage. But what about the environment that you're throwing the folks in, right? If Mm -hmm. you want more active transportation, they need to be provided a safe environment to operate. And... Of course, there are different aspects of safety, like vehicle safety, and I am very supportive of that I work at SAE. There's infrastructure safety for civil engineers, and there's the uh, emergency response safety for first responders. I think that all these different elements of road safety should be looked at uh, seriously and proactively instead of looking back five years later and say, oh gosh, we could have done better. hmm
0: I know your, your research is still ongoing, but have you found any places where they seem to be doing this well, or at least better than other places?
1: I think in general, where there is better bike infrastructure, therefore there are more cyclists, mm-hmm. therefore safety in numbers, they do better for scooter riders too. You know, that's just my assumption, but, uh, but that is probably close to the truth.
0: Did you find that or have you found so far that mixing scooters, e-scooters and bikes and maybe electric bikes together in the same shared lanes works well? Or are there conflicts between those different types of micromobility?
1: I think this is the exact issue, right? Scooters, depending on what the top speed allowed in that city is, they're kind of orphans. I mean, they don't belong on the sidewalk. They don't belong on the bike lane because they're actually quite slow in some areas, right? In D.C., they were going 10 miles per hour. That's slower than e-bikes that can go 20 miles per hour. So what is the justification behind that? Scooters, if you're going 10, 15 miles per hour, they're quite slow to compete with cars. I think this is the broader issue, that speed. What is an appropriate speed for scooters in what context? And then finding homes for them rather than saying, oh, no, they're, you know, they get into conflicts with pedestrians, so they shouldn't go on the sidewalk. They're too slow or annoying for cyclists. Everybody hates scooters when you're not the scooter rider.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that more education is necessary for both public officials as well as the general public when it comes to these kinds of safety issues?
1: Absolutely. I think we have focused so much on educating scooter riders, which is definitely necessary. But there's also scooter riders are riding in an ecosystem with other road users. And those guys also need to be educated. It's not very clear for drivers or riders on the local policies. Working with the local officials to come up with an outreach campaign to do proper education and to create infrastructure that clearly communicates what you're supposed to do in what setting would be critical.
0: And I wonder if that kind of goes back to one of the first questions that I had asked when we were talking about standardization. Is there a need for standardization in terms of rules and how these kinds of devices operate From city to city, so you don't have one set of rules in one city, and when you go to another city, it's a different set of rules that uh, maybe come into play.
1: Yes, for sure. Um, SAE, we usually stick to the vehicle side of standardization, but we'd be happy to work with the infrastructure SDOs as well. I think there's opportunity to combine forces to better educate each other and learn from each other.
0: Talking about public agencies and others, I'm curious about this. How do you think public agencies, data aggregators, mobility providers, that they can all work together in the Moz, MOD space to improve our transportation system?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting yet tricky question because it would be naive for me to say that there is no tension between public agencies and the private sector. However, there is significant desire from most parties to figure this out together to ultimately improve transportation options for everybody. The way we as an SAE move forward here is to build consensus through open dialogue. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we have a consortium called the Mobility Data Collaborative, and it focuses on data sharing. The goal of this consortium is to have all these different players Coming to one table and work the kinks out. For example, data is often requested by public agencies for, say, scooter sharing trips. This data is then shared by the operators. There's no doubt that this data is highly valuable. Public agencies can have insight to where the highest demand for new bike lanes are for example with this data with better infrastructure more folks will then use micro mobility which is great for the operators right and more riders to contribute to safety in numbers which is great for everybody there is this huge potential for positive feedback loop at this point it's a matter of breaking those walls down and figuring out how to share and make use of this data to really reap the benefits. And figuring this out, honestly, can't be done by one sector alone. So this is the role that SAE plays to really facilitate that multi-sector agreement.
0: You talk about that tension between public agencies and the private sector in terms of the value of the data and what it can do, obviously, the benefits that are there with that. Have you seen examples where some of that tension is being broken and agencies, both on the public side and on the private side, are coming together to overcome some of those issues?
1: I see it all the time working on this consortium. I think even in the beginning of our consortium, folks are a little shy, but with months of teleconference calls, you become friends, right? <laughs> and um, we have learned so much from each other, the rationale to why you want this specific type of data in this specific way, or why you want to share a specific way, that knowledge sharing has helped us all improve our understanding of the broader issue. And it has allowed us to figure out how we can find agreement. And a lot of it is compromise. And we have been working on two best practices, and those are results of everybody in that group trying to understand each other and coming to consensus through compromise. And I can tell you that there's no member of our consortium that did not want compromise.
0: Well, that's encouraging. You're in a unique position to to look at this new mobility space. I'm curious, what are some of the, the interesting trends that you're seeing and What's been most surprising or interesting to you and maybe some things that you didn't expect as well as what you do expect to see in the next, say, five to 10 years?
1: No, well, Bernie, um, if you asked me this question three weeks ago, I think it would have been a much different <laughs> answer. It is March 26th today, 2020. We are knee-deep in the coronavirus pandemic. Today, I think the coronavirus, through this huge curveball, of public health fear when using shared mobility. The idea of sharing space or things that you touch is one that really ignites anxiety at this point. Until mid-February, I never thought twice about commuting on ride hailing, microtransit and shared mobility. And things are much different now. Coronavirus is a purple, but it's also an opportunity that we could learn from. We've seen efforts by the micro-mobility operators to increase their sanitization uh, protocols. We have seen bike-share ridership increase in many cities, filling that transportation gap that could not be served by mass transit because they don't want to share small spaces. We have seen delivery services thriving. I think the public safety argument of shared mobility was mostly understood through the lens of security. But with COVID-19, it really opened our eyes to public health issue. Therefore, I think there's great lessons to be learned. This could better inform our future forms of mobility, especially those that are fully automated. Perhaps you know, in the future, a delivery bot could sanitize itself between rounds, right? Like Things like this that never really crossed our minds a couple weeks ago. But I think this will stay with us for a while, and all the operators are kind of scrambling to figure things out, but it will inform much better public health standards in the future.
0: Well, Annie, thank you so much. We've been talking with Annie Chang. She is the head of New Mobility, as well as the director of the Mobility Data Collaborative at SAE International. Annie, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.